Hey everybody, Pastor Joel with you here with yet another rendition of the weekly sermon being posted online because we spent our time in the service talking about the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Sometimes, even when you're preaching through God's Word verse by verse, sometimes you need to take a break and really specifically address something that's going on in our lives. And so that's what we've done for the last couple weeks. We've put the study in 1 Samuel on hold, but we've gotten back to it each week um, online. And so that's what we're going to do this week as well with 1 Samuel 29 and 30. I'm going to read these uh, chapters here. We don't have a a time restriction with a podcast like we do on a live service on Sunday mornings. So I'm going to read to you this whole passage of Scripture, 1 Samuel 29 and 30. So if you uh, don't have a Bible, I would recommend you get one and open that bad boy up to 1 Samuel 29 and 30 so we can look at these words together from God's Word and then uh, think about them as well. So here is 1 Samuel chapters 29 and 30. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years, and since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day? But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary for us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is, this, is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your lord who came with you, and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light." So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Now when David, sorry, this is chapter 30. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both great and small. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters." But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. 
And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake, and you shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook Basor, where those who were uh, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and four hundred men. Two hundred stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Basor. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate. They gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. My master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negeb of the Cherethites, and against that which belongs to Judah, and against the Negeb of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, there were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil they had taken from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped, except four hundred young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds and all the people drove and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the two hundred men who had been too exhausted to follow David, and who had been left at the brook Basor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share as who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel, in Ramoth of the Negeb, in Jatir, in Eror, in Sifmoth, in Eshtemoah, in Rakal, in the cities of the Jeremelites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Horma, in Borashan, in Atach, in Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. Have you ever experienced a difficult time in your life that was pretty much largely of your own making? You ever found yourself at the bottom of a deep hole and looked around and discovered that you're the only one in the hole and you have a shovel in your hands? I have, if I'm going to be honest. And hopefully, if you're honest, you could probably admit that we've all had an experience of creating a complete mess for ourselves and digging ourselves down into a deep hole. 
Well, in chapter 29 of 1 Samuel, we find that David has dug himself into a pretty deep hole. Remember, he didn't believe that God would keep him safe from Saul, so he ran away to the Philistines, to the city of Gath, for safety. And he made the Philistine king believe that he had defected from Israel and came to now fight for the Philistines and to maintain that ruse. While he was with the Philistines, he brutally conquered various cities. He left no survivors because he was telling the king of Gath that those were Israelite cities, which was untrue, because, of course, David didn't want to fight against his own countrymen. And that was all working out for him, more or less, of course, not accepting the spiritual problems with what he was doing. But in the first verse of chapter 29, we see that David has really dug himself into a deep hole that he really has no way of getting out of. So in verse 1 of chapter 29, as we read, it says, Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. You see, the time has come for the Philistine armies to battle the Israelites. And this wasn't making raids on small towns and villages that David could do in secret to keep his true allegiance covered. Now the Philistines and Israelites are going to have a showdown of sorts, and David is between a rock and a hard place here. Because on the one side, he has this ruse going with the Philistines that he's trying to preserve, and on the other side, he can't bring himself to fight against the Israelites If he fights against Israel, he'll rightly be labeled as a traitor, and he will never be king. But if he fights against the Philistines, his deception will be found out, and he'll have to leave the safety of the Philistines and go back to running away from Saul. So he is in a tight place here. And keep in mind, though, that this tough spot that David has made for himself is just that. It's completely of his own creation because of his unbelief. He is the one who got himself into this mess, and quite frankly, there doesn't seem to be any way out. Again, you've probably been in a place like that. You've probably found yourself at one time or another at the bottom of a hole and looked around and discovered that you're the only one in the hole, and you have a shovel in your hands. Well, thankfully, God knows how to save David from his own self-created foolishness, and he knows how to save us from our own self-created foolishness. And actually, throughout the Bible, we see that God's people aren't perfect. They dig themselves into some pretty deep holes. But what we also see, just as clearly, is that the way out of the hole um, is through God's providence, through God pulling us up out of that hole that we've dug for ourselves. Verse 4 of chapter 29 says, The commanders of the Philistines were angry with David, and they, they said to him, or excuse me, they were angry with the king of Gath, Achish, and they said to him, Send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary for us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David is ten thousands. David isn't the only one who recognizes the conflict of interests that are at play here. The Philistine commanders do too, and they call him out for it. And even though the king of Gath vouches for David in verse 3, and then in verse 6, the Philistine commanders, they aren't buying it. So they tell the king to send David back to Ziklag, which was the city that the king gave to David and to his men earlier. The bottom line is that they don't think that they can trust David in battle, and rightly so. So they say, he's got to get out of here. He's got to go home. So David got himself into this huge mess by going to the king of Gath to get away from Saul and then lying to the king in order to maintain appearances 
until it led to him to this pivotal moment of decision from which there seems to be no escape. No matter what happens in this battle, David loses. Either he fights against Israel or he gets exposed as a, a phony to the Philistines. But God is watching over David and delivers him out of his own mess by stirring up the emotions of these Philistine commanders and having the king send him home to Ziklag. So David goes home, and the Philistines go up to do battle with the Israelites. So crisis averted, right? Well, not so fast. Because while David and his men were away prepping for battle, another people group, the Amalekites, have been busy. So now we're in chapter 30, verse 1. When David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. So while David's away, the Amalekites will play. And play they did by burning David's city to the ground and taking off David's wives and the wives and children of all of his men captive. Consequences, man. David's actions have consequences. Because David decided to run away to the Philistines and to ally himself with the king of Gath, even if it was a phony alliance, there are consequences to those actions. And the consequences of David's actions were that he and his men and their families were in a hostile territory in which the Amalekites came and burned the city to the ground and walked off with all their earthly possessions and with all their wives and children. Remember what we said a couple of weeks ago? The things we believe inform the things we do, and the things we do have consequences. This is a lesson that David is learning right now. David didn't believe that God would keep him safe from Saul, so he ran away to the Philistines with his men and all their families. And in order to make the, the Philistines think that he was loyal, David went on raids to keep his deception going. And since the Philistines thought he was loyal, they gave him and his men the city of Ziklag to live in. And since he and his men were off playing war with the Philistines for no other reason than to maintain the lie that David has been telling, they weren't in the city to protect their families when the Amalekites attacked. And so the Amalekites got away with everything. Our faith or our doubt informs our actions, and there are consequences to our actions. This is a lesson that David is learning right now, and you better believe it's a lesson that his men are learning as well, because they are none too happy about this. Look at verse 6 of chapter 30. It says that David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter, bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. So David's men are sitting there saying, why did we have to be here? The only reason we're here is because we followed David here. And it's because we followed him here that our wives and our children were here to be abducted by the Amalekites. This is all David's fault. Now, in one sense, they're not entirely accurate. David isn't responsible for the actions of the Amalekites. That sin is on them. 
But what they're feeling is what they've what we've just said. Actions have consequences. And right now, David and his men are feeling the consequences of David's actions. And some of David's men are angry enough about it to kill him. They're talking about stoning him. And you know what's really kind of tragic about this whole situation that has just been set up here? Think about this. Who was it that raided Ziklag and went off with all the women and children? The Bible says it was the Amalekites. And who were the Amalekites? Well, the Amalekites were a group of people who first had a run-in with Israel right after the Israelites left Egypt. The Israelites had just left Egypt, and pretty much right away they were attacked by the Amalekites. And the Amalekites fought dirty. They pretty much only attacked the sick and the young and the old of Israel back then. So God rightly was a bit mad about that and swore to utterly wipe out the Amalekites from the face of the earth. And who did he choose to carry this out? If you recall from earlier in the book of 1 Samuel, God chose Saul. Israel's first king was tasked with the responsibility of carrying out God's judgment against the Amalekites. And what did Saul do? Well, not that. Instead of wiping them out, he just defeated them militarily and then raided all their goods and brought them home with him, which was not what God told Saul to do. So after that, God sends Samuel to Saul and says, hey, because you have disobeyed me when it comes to what I said to do with the Amalekites, I'm going to take your kingdom away from you and give it to David. You remember? The ghost of Samuel even reminded Saul of that just last week in chapter 30, uh, 28. Excuse me. Saul is losing the kingdom because he didn't obey God when it came to the Amalekites. And now who is it that has walked off with the wives and children of David and his men? The Amalekites. Seems to have come full circle here. So now David has to clean up this mess that Saul refused to take care of probably a couple of decades earlier. Nevertheless, David has dug himself into quite a hole here. God helped him get out of that other hole by making the commanders of the Philistines mistrust him so that the king sent him home. But now he's dug himself into a whole new hole and there are innocent human lives at stake. Now, We didn't read all of verse 6 because it says, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now that last sentence there might be the most important sentence in the last five chapters of this book that we've been through. Because David has been on something of a downward trend recently. Remember, he's been on the run for, by this time, seven or eight years, all the while escaping Saul's grasp because God has been helping him and protecting him. But then that faith has had some kind of little hiccup in it after these seven or eight years. And so David runs away, runs away to Gath. And that leads him to lie and scheme and kill, which are not the actions of a man believing God in this situation, So David's walk of faith has really been more of a crawl lately. But what I would suggest to you is that the last sentence of verse 6 there in chapter 30, we see a shift in David. We see him coming up out of that hole that he has dug for himself. David has strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, what does that mean? And how does David go from walking in this place of doubt to strengthening himself in the Lord and then reclaiming his walk of faith. Well, remember, first, all sin 
has consequences. Romans 6.23 tells us this. It says, For the wages or the consequences of sin is death. That's the ultimate consequence of sin. All sin deserves death because it has been committed against a holy God. And the just punishment for sin against a perfectly holy God is eternity in hell. But for those who will put their trust in Jesus, he willingly takes the consequences of their sin onto himself, and he suffers those consequences that our sin deserves. So those who are trusting in him don't have to be afraid of suffering the eternal consequences of their sin because Jesus already did that. Instead, as Romans 6.23 goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because Jesus suffers the consequences that our sin deserves, when we put our trust in him, we no longer have eternal death waiting for us, but eternal life. For those whose sin is forgiven, there is no more eternal consequence. But there are still temporal consequences to our sin. It's like we've already said, actions have consequences, right? If you sin in some way, even if your sin is forgiven by God through Jesus and is not held against you eternally, you're still going to feel the effects of that sin in the here and now. Think about it. If I tell a lie to my wife and I confess my sin to her and she forgives me and God forgives me, there's still going to be something of a lack of trust between us because I have violated her trust. The sin might be forgiven, but there's still a consequence that I have to bear. Or think of it like this. If I embezzle money from my employer and I'm caught and I'm sent to prison and I later confess my sin and I obtain forgiveness from God and from those whom I have wronged, that doesn't mean that I'm going to get out of prison. Sin has consequences, even forgiven sin. God forgives David for his sin and for his unbelief and the actions that he took in unbelief, but those actions still have consequences, and that's what David and his men are feeling right now. And one of the reasons I think David makes this turn to strengthen himself in the Lord and pull himself up out of the pit that he's dug for himself is that he's shocked out of his unbelief by the consequences of his sin. Because David gets back to Ziklag, that city, and sees that it has been burned to the ground, and his wives are gone, and the wives and children of all of his men are gone. And I think the shock of that reality opens his eyes to the fact that his walk of faith has been rather stagnant recently. And I think God allowed David to suffer those consequences of his unbelief for precisely that reason, to kind of shock him out of his unbelief. And this might be something of a new concept for you, or it might be kind of sensitive, but I believe that the Bible teaches that God will sometimes let us feel the consequences of our sin deeply so that we can see how it leads us nowhere but to death and destruction. That's what I think the smoldering ruins of the town of Ziklag are for David. They're a symbol of where sin has brought him. And God used those smoldering ruins in the obvious absence of the wives and children of his men to kind of shock David so that he would wake up out of his slumber of unbelief and draw him back to the right path. David had been on a path of unbelief, and by allowing the Amalekites to burn David's city to the ground and cart off the women and children, God is showing David where that path of unbelief leads to, and it's nowhere pleasant. But that's what I think David needed. He needed to feel the unpleasant shock 
of the consequences of his sin. And he needed to feel it deeply because he was in deep. Now, I'll ask this gently. Is it possible that the unpleasant circumstances you might be in even right now are actually the consequences of your sin? And is it possible that God is allowing you to feel those consequences as a way of getting you to wake up to your sin and to your unbelief? I'm not saying that every negative thing that happens in your life is due to the consequences of sin, but I think we should at least be open to entertaining the possibility that the miserable circumstances I'm in right now might be due to my own sin. When things are rough, it's something I think we should ask ourselves, is God trying to get my attention here? That's the process that I think David went through. And David gets the message. The message says that as a result of feeling the consequences that of that last year and a half of his life of walking in unbelief, he knows that something is wrong. So what does he do? He strengthens himself in the Lord. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, what I think is going on here and what I think this is pointing us to is first and foremost, repentance. Again, David was kind of shocked out of his slumber of unbelief and turned from his sin and got back on the straight and narrow. And I think David realized the futility of his doubt and actions of late And he turned from that stuff. He turned away from his sin, from his own wisdom, from his own strength, from his own cunning, his own abilities. And instead, he turned back to trusting God and living like a man who is trusting God. He took comfort in the reality that his sin was forgiven by God, and he got back to business of obeying God in his life. Now, how does he do that? Well, for the first time in a long time, we see David seeking the Lord. If you look at verse 7, David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Now that's a huge statement right there from David. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, it says. Now do you remember what an ephod is? Do you remember? Do you realize why that's such a huge thing that David says, bring me the ephod? An ephod is that priestly garment that contains the urim and the thummim. Do you remember those? It was kind of a a way of determining the will of God, maybe like flipping a coin, right? Lord, what should we do? Let's use the Urim and the Thummim to find out what God wants us to do, kind of like flipping a coin. And this is hugely significant because, again, this is the first time in a long time that David has sought out the will of God for his life. Remember when he ran away to the Philistines? He didn't ask God about that. He didn't say, hey, Abiathar, bring me the ephod, and let's see where God wants us to go. No, he just went. He didn't ask God about raiding and killing in order to maintain his ruse with the king of Gath. No, he just did it. He didn't ask God about any of the things he did from the time he has gone to live with the Philistines until now. He just did whatever he wanted. So almost a year and a half of David's life of not consulting with God, and look where that's gotten him. It got him into that mess with between him and the Israelite armies, and now it's gotten him in this mess with the Amalekites burning his city to the ground and stealing his wives. So David is making a change. He's repenting. He's turning from his sin, and he's seeking the Lord. And so he tells Abiathar, hey, bring me the ephod, and let's talk to God. So if you're down deep in a hole, maybe even one that you dug yourself, and you want to get out of it, talk to the Lord. If you want to turn from your sin and right the wrongs that you have done, start there. Start by seeking God 
in prayer. Confess all the ways that you've absolutely bungled your life. Confess your sin and seek out what God would have you do to make it right. Follow David's example here. So David consults with the Lord, and God tells him to go after the Amalekites who attacked Ziklag. So David and about two-thirds of his men do so. And another way that David has strengthened himself in the Lord is that when God tells him to do something, he does it. Notice that. So David has kind of made this change. He's turned from his sin, and now he's seeking the Lord. He says, bring me the ephod. And then when he gets the message from God, he doesn't need to ask twice. He doesn't second guess. He doesn't you know, think about it, for, spend some time thinking about it for a long time before he actually does it. No, he just goes and does what God says to do. So do you want to know a quick way to get yourself out of that hole that you've dug for yourself? Obey God. That's it. Don't overthink it. Just obey. Do what God says to do. Put on your Nikes and just do it, right? Focus on obedience, and that will get you out of that hole pretty quickly. So David has his marching orders, and as they go, there seems to be this change in David. He's no longer ruthless and killing anyone who gets in his way. Uh, if you look in verses 11 to 15, they find this straggler from the Amalekites who is sick and who's kind of left to die in the middle of a field. And rather than kill him and take revenge on him, what does David do? He gives him food and water. He nurses him back to health. That seems like a different David than the David who goes and raids cities and leaves no survivors, wouldn't you say? And then in verses 16 to 20, they finally catch up with the Amalekites. And after a two-day battle, David and his men who were greatly outnumbered, by the way, beat the Amalekites and got back everything they lost, including their families and all their possessions and all the possessions of the Amalekites. And then verses 21 to 25 tell us about how David is kind to the men who stayed behind by returning to them their possessions that were stolen, even though they didn't go on the campaign to get it back. And again, there just seems to be a compassion in David now that there wasn't in these last few chapters of 1 Samuel, something has changed in him. You know what that change is? It's repentance. It's him turning from his sin, turning back to the Lord. And finally, the last verses of this chapter show us where David's true loyalty lies, even though it's been in question for a while now because he's been with the Philistines. But if you skip down to verse 26, it says, When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. David had been with the Philistines for about 18 months because he didn't think God could keep him safe in Judah. And now what does he do? He sends tributes to his allies in Judah. And that's significant because that shows that David now believes that his time in Judah isn't over yet. He's coming back there, and he's going to come back as the king. So by sending these gifts, he's preparing his own way. Now, do you remember what David said back in chapter 27? If you look back at the first verse of chapter 27, here's what he says. He says, Now the only thing left for me here in Israel is to be killed by the hand of Saul. What is there better for me to do than to run away to the Philistines? You know what that is? That is the voice of doubt. Walking in faith looks like preparing your way to come back to your homeland as the victorious king with faith that God keeps his promises. 
You see the change that has taken place in David? Man, these last few chapters of 1 Samuel have not been good for him. It's been really a crisis of faith, and his, his Christian walk has slowed down to a crawl. He maybe even took some steps backwards. But here we see a big change. And what's that big change? He strengthens himself and the Lord his God by turning from his sin, by seeking the Lord in prayer, and by doing what God says to do. If you will do those three things, that will pull you up out of the pit pretty quickly. If you have made a mess for yourself, if you've dug yourself down into a deep hole, and perhaps you have vividly felt the consequences of your sin, do what David did. Strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. And how do you do that? You do it by turning from your sin, by going to God in prayer, by going to God in his word, seeing what he would have you do. And then when you know what God would have you do, do it. And if you go through that process, mark my words, just see how quickly God gives you strength and pulls you up out of that hole by the power of his grace and forgiveness. Man, and this is something, you know, none of us are perfect. We're all going to struggle with sin until the day we die. And you will feel the consequences of your sin until the day you die. You're going to say a sharp word to your wife or your husband. You're going to discipline your kids wrongly out of anger instead of out of a desire to bring them up in the, the fear and admonition of the Lord. You're going to say or do something at work, and you're going to feel those consequences because we all sin. We're still struggling. You're going to feel the result of that struggle. And when you feel the result, when you feel those consequences come to bear on your life, this is how you move on. Strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. Turn from your sin. Confess it. If maybe you sinned against somebody and that has broken the relationship and that's the consequence that you're feeling right now, confess to that person what you did. Tell them that you have repented, that you have turned from that sin. Ask their forgiveness. Then seek the Lord in prayer. And then when he tells you what to do in his word, do it. Don't waste time. Don't second guess. Don't question it. Don't spend all your time thinking about it. Get on the horse, put on your Nikes, and just do it. This is how you strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. Especially for those of us on this side of the cross. What a blessing we have that even when we do sin, we can look back to the cross and know that that sin is paid for. That sin is forgiven. The wages of, of death that my sin deserves has been taken care of by Jesus. So I don't need to wallow in self-pity. I don't need to wallow in misery or depression because Jesus has paid for my sin. And God has given me the, the way to strengthen myself by turning from that sin that's still in my life, by seeking the Lord in prayer, and by being obedient to his word. So that's how we strengthen ourselves in our God who has given us this strength by his grace. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that Lord, you have provided a way out of sin, eternally, of course, through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Lord, we don't have to fear that ultimate consequence or that ultimate wage that our sin deserves of death. We don't have to fear that. Instead, we can look forward to eternal life. And Lord, we thank you that even though we are still in the body, still in the flesh, and we still struggle with sin, and it 
still is a part of our life, and we even still feel the consequences, Lord, that you have still provided a way out for us by strengthening ourselves in who you are and what you have done. God, I ask for the people listening to this message and reading you, reading your word today, that you would give them that strength, that you would pull them up out of that pit by the grace of repentance, by the grace of prayer, and by the grace of obedience. God, help us to strengthen ourselves in you by remembering what you have done, so that when we do battle, when we do struggle with our sin, and even sometimes, Lord, when we fail and it gets the better of us, that we would get back up and that we would be lifted up out of that pit of despair and sin and consequences by the, the assurance that we have your forgiveness and that your spirit will help us to battle this sin every day. Lord, be glorified in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.